The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 76, the week of July 23rd. Uh, as you guys heard last week, Rob is on vacation, so I have a very special co-host today, uh, Chris Triolo. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me today. Glad you're here. Uh, so, Chris, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. Um, somewhere probably between 15, but not quite 20 years. Yep. Um, back in the day, used to work at IBM together. Uh, so what are you up to these days, Chris? Yeah, my, my latest adventure is, uh, is a startup. Nice. So it's the first time that I kind of separated from a, a large company or even mid-sized company to something so small as this. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. It's, it's very challenging. It's a lot of fun, but uh, it's kind of a mental game. You know, it's how to, how to keep things going and, you know, try to figure out how to get to that next stage. There's no boss telling you what to do? You just, you just There's gotta go no do boss. It. You're in charge of yourself, and that's that's good. That's great. I mean, that's one of the things I enjoy about it the most. But it also means that you got to keep your motivation up, and you know, really tackle you know every day's problem. Yep, for sure. All right, well, let's jump into it. Uh, before we get to the news, uh, we've got some announcements. Of course, we have the Slack channel. Um, lots of great conversation going on in there. So make sure you jump over and join if you haven't. There is a link on the website, Colorado-Security.com. Also on the website, we have a mailing list. If you want to get our show notes emailed to you every week, sign up for that mailing list. We would love it if you rate us and subscribe, either on Google Play or iTunes. Um, of course, we appreciate good ratings, but it, you know, if you don't like us, then you know, don't rate us highly. Um, and then finally, uh, we have a, a Patreon going. So we had this week a brand new patron join us, Steve Winterfeld. Thanks, Steve. Uh, um, appreciate. Uh, the support from you. Um, and uh, also wanted to mention last week, uh, Rob mentioned that Chris Jeleno, um signed up as a patron. Um, Chris works for Carbon Black, and this is actually sort of on behalf of Carbon Black. So he just wanted to make sure that that was, was shouted out there. Anyway, uh, so let's go ahead and jump into the news. All right. Well, our first story is that the Denver Startup Week schedule has been announced. Uh, it will be uh, September 24th through the 28th. It's four full days of schedule. Looked like a lot of interesting things on the calendar. Um, maybe just because now I'm more interested in startups. Yeah. Right. And what that has to offer. Yeah. And uh, of course, Denver Startup Week is the country's largest independent, um, non-affiliated uh, startup festival, I guess you would call it. Um, so looking forward to that again. I did look through the schedule and I know that Rob had submitted a, a session and I did not see it on the list, so I'm not sure if they, they made the cut. Um, oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, I'm just wrong and they're there and I missed it. Uh, anyway, next, uh, Aurora was ranked as America, one of America's fastest growing suburbs. Uh, so they're, they were ranked number eight on a realtor.com list of America's fastest growing suburbs. Um, ahead of them were places like Apex, North Carolina, uh, Frisco, Texas, Scottsdale, excuse me, Scottsdale, Georgia, um, and Arabi, Louisiana. So uh, they noted that Aurora is growing, you know, basically because the Denver metro area is growing, lots of jobs coming in and people need a place to live. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You usually hear about uh, how Denver is growing so fast, but to hear, you know, the, the suburb story here was interesting. Um, the price uh, appreciation of housing, 19%. Yeah. That's yeah, incredible. It is crazy. So pretty soon we won't be able to afford to live in Aurora either. Right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, I basically, when I first moved out here, the first place, it was technically Denver, but you know, I, if I walked across the street, it was Aurora. Okay. You know, so that I think a lot of people came out and were... Hey, there's a cheap place to live down here in Aurora, and so that's uh, I guess that's not going to exist nearly as much anymore. Oh well. Next item is a company named System76 has a new manufacturing facility in Denver. Yeah, so we had talked about System76 on the show. Um, I don't know, a couple months back maybe. Uh, they make 
Linux-based uh, computers, right. servers, desktops, laptops, um, and they had committed to bringing their manufacturing back from overseas and decided to, to build their factory here in Denver. So the, the story, uh, I guess, shows the a lot of pictures of them moving into this facility and starting to get it set up, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd be interested to follow that blog over time if they're going to keep posting pictures as they set up the yeah. manufacturing. It's interesting that they call out the fact that it's manufacturing, not assembling computers, because right. assembling can be done anywhere. Right. But to actually build the components here in Colorado, it's pretty interesting. And it's pretty cool. Uh, next, uh, Conga, which is a, a startup here, although they're getting pretty large, um, announced that they are establishing their global headquarters in Broomfield. So Conga was based here and started here. They do uh, some services that help people uh, use Salesforce in, in various ways with contracts and other things like that. Um, and they had been looking, I think mostly through acquisition, they had you know, acquired several companies this year uh, to set a, a global headquarters and they ended up settling on, on Denver. Yeah, Broomfield in fact, right? Yeah. And what I understand is that they got something like $8 million in tax credits to do so. so yeah. That, that's pretty compelling in terms of trying to make that decision. I would be happy to live in Broomfield if someone wanted to give me $8 million to live there. So, good stuff. <laughs> uh, next up, Denver's Galvanize acquires San Francisco-based Hack Reactor and secures $32 million in funding. So, first off, that was their Series C, $32 million in funding. That's, that's a great round of yeah. funding there. Um, so, they're obviously off to the races, those guys. They're doing really well. And, of course, Galvanize does... Uh, training and um, you know, sort of work co-location, other you know, for startups. Um, I think that they you know even had some accelerator functionality at, at one point or another. And so then Hack Reactor is a uh, is another sort of coding uh, boot camp or training facility, and it just added some more more uh, places where Galvanize would now have a footprint. So. Yeah, with a name like Hack Reactor, <laughs> I certainly hope that they're teaching secure coding practices. You would hope so. But I don't think that's the focus of, of their, you know, their organization. But Pretty cool, though. Um, congratulations to Galvanize. They seem to be doing really well. Yep. Uh, next, there was an article about uh, the Colorado Secretary of State race that's going to be happening this fall and how cybersecurity is going to be involved in that. So... Uh, the current Secretary of State, Wayne Williams, actually has a, a Democratic challenger, uh, Jenna Griswold. And this she is looking to be the first Democratic Secretary of State since the 50s. There was actually, sorry, elected. There was one person that was appointed for part of a term that was a Democrat um, in the 2000s sometime. Uh, but that's pretty incredible that it has been a Republican-held office since the 50s. Um, and of course, the cybersecurity component here, the Secretary of State's office is in charge of election security. So uh, the, the big concern over election security and, uh, and what they're going to do around that is definitely going to be a major point in the campaign, which is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it's interesting that, and I, I hadn't heard this before, but that DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has designated election systems to be critical infrastructure. It's... I would agree with that completely yeah. because, you know, meddling in elections is definitely you know, sort of dangerous territory that could lead to, uh, you know, pretty, pretty severe consequences, honestly. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we, of course, of course, know Rich Schleip over there um, at the Secretary of State's office uh, doing great stuff to make sure that we all stay secure. Next up, there's a new Colorado law that allocated $1.2 million to bolster CSU cybersecurity education. The uh, new law is titled Cyber Coding Cryptology for State Records. So I think the focus of the law itself is to try to improve the security of uh, state records. Um, kind of following the breach earlier this year where 2,000 computers uh, at the Colorado Department of uh, Transportation uh, suffered a breach. So I, I think that's a good thing. It's good that uh, CSU is, is seeing some of that money as well. Yeah, um, actually when, when uh, Debbie Blythe last week um, co-hosted um, 
we she talked about some of the CDOT stuff because she was very involved um, in the response for that. And I, I'm hoping we're going to get her uh, on in the future to talk about uh, more around that. Uh, but back to this article specifically, you know, we had talked about the bill that, that this came from and mostly to make fun of some of it. Um, because you know, one of the things that they that they put in the bill was that they should explore new technologies like blockchain. Um, you know, we thought it was kind of silly that you put something like blockchain into law. I mean, yeah. yes, okay, let's explore technologies, but maybe let's not specify which ones. Anyway, um, <laughs> some of the money is going to go for uh, programs at CSU. Um, most of this, I think, is at the main campus, but also some money and activities already underway at CSU Pueblo. And then finally, they're um, going to use some of this money for a research project that is already ongoing uh, that they're doing in conjunction with uh, DHS called NetBrain, which is aimed at detecting and mitigating denial, or excuse me, distributed denial of service attacks. Can't talk. Yeah, so. it's it's interesting to see um, how we can do better at mitigating distributed denial of service attacks. It's It's a difficult problem, right? It is for sure. Uh, all right, next, um, Overwatch ID had an announcement this week. Um, they moved into a, a new corporate office. So they're at 900 South Broadway, much bigger space than they were in before. I think they have something like 9,000 square feet or something like this. This is in one of the, uh, the old Gates buildings there, uh, kind of right by GTRI and, and hosting.com. So congratulations to Overwatch ID, doing good stuff there, continuing to grow. Uh, yeah, it, it appears that they you know, will be able to focus on growth in, you know, their professional services and customer support departments. So it sounds like they're going to be hiring some more people and fitting them in. Yeah, and we have talked about some of their jobs in the past. Um, so I would say keep an eye out on their website if you're looking to work for a startup. Next up, Red Canary posted a, a blog called uh, Build Versus Buy, Not Mutually Exclusive. This was actually an older blog that they had written a while ago, and then they they republished because it's just so relevant to, to companies today trying to make this decision whether they want to, to build or buy uh, their security technology. I think that the it, it, it's such a, a tricky area because you know we get this feeling that if we can build it ourselves we'll, we'll be able to you know sort of have control over it and you know ensure that it's got the features and functions that that we're looking for but at the same time uh most of us are not you know software developers right a lot right. goes into that yep it's a big challenge yeah and, and the blog was written by keith mccammon who's the chief security officer over there um and I, I think one of the things i liked best about the article was oftentimes it, people look at it as a binary right so either yeah. build or buy and, you know, he kind of went into, well, you know, maybe you should do a little bit of both, right? So, um, you know, build a little, buy a little, um, you know, buy some things, build some things. Uh, I, I definitely think there are times when it makes sense to, to build. Um, and also, it obviously depends on the, the makeup of your team, the makeup of your company. Right. Um, you know, if you have a, a software development um, you know, sort of culture at, at your company and you have exactly. that, that sort of resource, yeah, uh, maybe it makes sense to, to build stuff. Um, if, if your company just buys a lot of software, you know, off the shelf, you know, maybe you're better off buying things for, for your security technologies. I, I think we got to be honest with ourselves, right? We got we to gotta know who we are before right. we make a decision like this. But one of the key things that came out of the article that I thought was just really, really important to, to all of us is that when you do buy a third-party technology and bring it in, you have to be ready for it. Yes. And, and it's a, it's a, you know, it's sort of cliche, but it's the people process technology story. You have to have the people who are going to be able to run it and the knowledge of, you know, how it works. You have to integrate it into your processes, your operational processes and so forth. And every time I see sort of a failed software implementation, usually it's because of that sort of thing is that the organization really didn't prepare in one of those key areas. Right. Or they're not mature enough to be able to use it. People often say, hey, here, here's a really cool new product. I'd love to use that. Let's go get it. Right. Well, you know, maybe you should work on some of the basics first before you go, you know, get something, you know, fancy and shiny and blinky. Yep. So anyway, uh, good article. Uh, next, there was an article uh, by SecureSet. Um, actually, one of their instructors over there 
Um, and they were talking about formalizing cyber threat intelligence planning. Um, so this was by Chris Rule, who's an instructor at the Denver SecureSet campus. And really, uh, this is just the first in a 10-part series. So this is sort of the introduction to uh, the whole blog series. And honestly, it, I'm really looking forward to hear the whole 10-part. Um, and it's really looking into you know security intelligence and the sort of government approach to actual intelligence. You know, we think of intelligence much differently, I think, than they do on the, you know, the military uh, sort of government side. And this is really diving into the sort of sort of formal processes that, that they have um, and kind of pulling that into cyber and, and being more formal about it. Yeah. And then this first, this first part one of the series, what he focused on was trying to understand your threat or your adversary and looking at the three sort of main dimensions, capability, knowledge, and intent, and really trying to dig in. And even if you don't know your enemy very well, apparently you can do a pretty good job of trying to figure out uh, what they'd be going after in, in your organization, what they'd be trying to attack. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. Our last article uh, for this week is... Uh, enriching your security data with Logarithm and Kibana. So they had just announced this, that uh, they've got a, a integration with uh, Kibana, which is an open source data visualization tool. And what's really unique about this or interesting is that, um, you know, Logarithm does a really good job uh, in gathering log sources for you and parsing and normalizing those log sources so you can do the types of queries and analysis on top of these large data sets. Uh, and what they've done here is they've allowed you to integrate with Kibana, which would give you an opportunity to do data visualizations, for example, of uh, you know, large data sets uh, that have been collected in, in Logarithm. And data visualization is you know, a very powerful tool for humans, right? We like sure. to look yep. and see patterns in the data. And so sort of going above you know, it's more in this th threat hunting kind of realm if you're applying it to security data, of course. Yeah. Uh, I also think it's really cool that they are, they're willing to announce sort of an integration with an open source project like this. Um, I think many times vendors don't want to have you use other tools. It's like only use our tools, you know, because we're, that's what we want you to, that's what we're selling them to you for, right? Um, and they realize, hey, Kibana is a great tool. Um, maybe it does data visualization um, differently or better than what we do in the tool already. Uh, and instead of you having to replicate the data that you already have in Logarithm to somewhere else, right. hey, just, just point it at your Logarithm data and now you can do this visualization. So I think that that's really cool. Uh, so that's it for news. Before we move off of that, I do want to remind everyone that the voting for uh, CTA's Apex Awards, uh, CISO of the Year, and, and the other awards um, are still open. So if you want to nominate someone, go out and, and check that out. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, and with that, let's move on to the Slack message of the week. So um, the Slack message of the week this week was by Zach Meyer. Uh, Zach started a, a discussion in the uh, Slack board around uh, managing open source software in the enterprise. So um, he asked a, a couple questions, spawned a great discussion. So we wanted to thank uh, Zach for doing that. And we also wanted to thank uh, Andre Gaeta, who is our sponsor of the Slack message of the week. So we will connect Andre and Zach, and Zach will get to order something from the Colorado Equal Security Store. So pretty cool. Moving on to events. Uh, first, of course, we have our event calendar. So if you go to colorado-security.com, click on events, you will see the entire calendar there. We do have events all the way through the end of the year, pretty much. Um, so go check that out, get your schedules in there. First event to mention is the GDPR meetup at hosting.com. Uh, it is taking place on July 24th. Next, uh, SecureSet is doing their expert series with Douglas Brush on the 26th. That's the Denver location. And following on that, they are also doing their experts uh, series in Colorado Springs uh, with Matthew Titcomb on uh, July 26th. Uh, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their first of five CISSP exam prep sessions on the 28th of July. Uh, this is a 10-week process. 
they do five weekends every other week to help get you prepared to take the CISSP exam. That is great fun. Great fun. <laughs> um, SecureSet is, is busy this month. Uh, they are also hosting in Colorado Springs their Hacking 101 application security. Uh, and, and then finally, our last event in the next two weeks, uh, SecureSet is doing the beginner's intro to capture the flag, um, and they're doing that here in Denver on the 3rd of August. So that is it for events. Let's move over to jobs. First job we have, Cognizant Healthcare is looking for an Associate Director of Healthcare Security Architecture and Corporate Security Leader. Coalfire is looking for a Director of Cyber Risk Services. Awesome. Western Union is looking for a Senior Manager in Internal Audit. Marquito has an opening for a Manager of Security Operations. U.S. Bank is looking for a Senior Cyber Defense Engineer. This is actually one job that was put in the uh, Slack channel this week, um, and this is something that can you can work from anywhere. Spectrum is hiring a Security Engineer 3. That's, of course, three times better than a Security Engineer 1. <laughs> Uh, and MedKeeper is looking for a senior cybersecurity engineer. Jeffco Public Schools is hiring an analyst of information security. Um, and keeping on the school beat, Denver Public Schools is looking for an information security administrator too. And finally, GB Protect is hiring a security operations center operator. Awesome. Well, that is it for jobs and that is it for the newscast. Uh, coming up will be our feature interview from uh, for this week. Rob interviewed Brent Wentworth um, of Level 3, uh, excuse me, CenturyLink. They're not Level 3 anymore. That's right. Um, sorry about that. Um, so they had a great conversation, so look forward to hearing that. And Chris, appreciate your time. Thanks yeah. for co-hosting. Thanks for having me, Alex. Awesome. Talk to you guys next week. Hi, this is Vincent Grimard, CSO at Nelnet. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Security Professionals. This is Colorado Equals Security. This is Rob Reck, and I'm here today with Brett Wentworth. Uh, Brett, I want to talk a lot about what you're doing around security operations and talk about your role over at CenturyLink. But first, I want to talk about something else you've been doing uh, for fun. Understand that you have a, an impressive uh, uh, freshwater uh, saltwater, saltwater, excuse me, yeah. saltwater uh, uh, fish tanks and aquariums. So, talk to me about number one. What's this hobby like, and and what's the coolest thing you've got? Well, so yeah, I started doing this about 15 years ago, and I started off with a 55-gallon tank with just fish. Um, it, to graduate up to live rock, and then to coral, and then to larger reef tanks. That's something I gradually started to do out of trial and error, and. Believe me, it's a lot of lot of trial, a lot of error. You you make a slight mistake, and the ecosystem is completely out of whack. Or you you buy something that looks cool in in the store, and you ends up eating half of your your livestock. And hmm. you're like, okay, well, I was a pretty bad uh, a bad owner there. Um, so it's it's been a lot of fun. We go home, you you look at the tank instead of the TV. Definitely takes hmm. the blood pressure down after a long day of work. Um, recently, actually acquired a a peacock mantis shrimp, uh, one of the more rare things to come in the trade. I, I went on the, the website where I normally buy, buy my livestock and I clicked on the, hey, email me if this comes into stock. And I forgot about it two years ago. Uh, got the email as about a month ago and I guess, okay, uh, we're, we're doing this, a peacock mantis shrimp. And if you're not familiar with what they are, they are a very unique creature in the world. They have the most complex eyes in nature. Hmm. They, have, uh, they have where we have two cones or two sets of cones in our eyes, they have 12. So they can see some say upwards of 2 million more colors than what uh, oh humans goodness. can see. So yeah, if it's pretty crazy, they put them in the tank and they sit in their cave and they, they look and their eyes are moving around and you know that they're seeing maybe into the future or something with their crazy eye vision. Um, the second thing they have is this club and this club is folded up underneath their, sh their uh, belly. And when they go and they hunt, and that's what they primarily are as a hunter, uh, taking out things like crabs that are five times their size, it makes this sound that you can actually hear through the aquarium. And it's the, the force of a 22 caliber bullet. And they wow. say that you don't want to put your hands in the tank to do cleaning because uh, uh, they're nicknamed the thumb splitter. So, um, yeah, so I have a lot of good fun things to look wow. forward to with this pet. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but if it does, maybe it'll be a fun uh, battle scar that I can talk about you know, when I'm 
a little bit older. So a couple things to say here. Number one, <laughs> anyone who's listening who's not driving right now, you should Google what a, a peacock mantis strip looks like. Because I got it up in front of me right now, and it is the most amazing looking creature I've ever seen. They're pretty cool, yeah. It's, it's like a rainbow in a crustacean. Uh, it looks like something like an alien. It definitely looks yeah. like an alien here. Uh, I'd say, is it, is it primarily green? Yours primarily green? So mine is uh, a lot of red and blue in the tail. They come in different colors. And okay. then the shell is kind of a more military green. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they look, if, if you're picturing it, they're like a, a praying mantis in the front and a yeah. lobster in the back. And Yeah, that yeah. looks about right from what I, from the picture <laughs> I'm looking at. The lobster in the back especially makes perfect sense. Um, I've, I ha had a guy who worked for me at Pulte, Chris Sorensen. Uh, hi, Chris, if you're listening, who was another uh, saltwater... Uh, aquarium guy, mm -hmm. and he he was telling me that like he had coral growing in there. He had it for a, a lot of years, mm -hmm. coral growing, and uh, eventually he found out that the coral that was growing in his aquarium was worth like thousands of dollars because yeah. it. I, I don't understand that exactly, but so there's people that they have their own businesses where they just have grow facilities in their basements where they have lots of powerful lights and they have coral and you know maybe they're doing something else. I don't know. I'm not going to judge. <laughs> that, but that, they, that they, what they, the grow facilities are for. <laughs> when people knock on the door, it's to grow coral, and yeah. uh, they yeah. you know they can frag it and they can split it off and then it'll grow into two pieces of coral. Huh. But yeah, I have stuff in my tank that's been there for ten years, and wow. if I took it down to the pet store, it could probably get some money, so maybe that's yeah. my retirement uh, coral. There you go. <laughs> uh, so how big, how, number, how many aquariums do you have? Uh, <laughs> it's a so, lot big so, number. Yeah, there's two that uh, that are saltwater, and then I have two that the kids have set up that are, are more for freshwater and turtles. Yeah. So when people come over, there's definitely an animal farm with uh, the turtle tanks and the saltwater tanks and the cat and the dog and, you know, the kids. And, and, and how big are the tanks? Uh, so the, the reef tank is 180 gallons. So if you picture that um, in terms of water weight, that's about having a car in your living room. Um, How physically big, like dimensions? So, okay, so it's about six foot long okay. by three foot wide and about three foot tall. That's so it take up a whole wall. Um, that's big. Yeah. It's, a, it's like a piece of furniture. It's, a, it's definitely a piece of furniture. Yeah. Definitely had to hire movers to get this thing into the house. Even mm -hmm. without water, it weighed about 350 pounds. Holy smokes. So, yeah. Wow. It's fun. Well, that's fun. Well, Worst things to do with your money, I guess, maybe. My wife says otherwise, well, but... Yeah. Well, if you had to grow lights for a different purpose, that's, <laughs> that's one of the worst we're, things. We're in Colorado. Just remind people this is Colorado equals security. There so. you go. It's Colorado. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, let's, let's dive into to your background and uh, let's start off with where are you from? So I am from uh, Andover, Massachusetts, which is about 20 minutes north of Boston. Okay. Uh, I spent about 20 of my first 21 years in the East Coast uh, around New England, so mostly Massachusetts, but also a couple of years in Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, growing up on the ocean, yeah. rooting for the Red Sox and the Patriots and you know the Bruins and yeah. eating clam chowder and every, all that stuff. So this summer when I drive from Boston to Maine, am I going to drive through Andover? Um, yes, if you take 93, you absolutely will be. Is that the way that the, the Maps app is going to take me? Um, probably. If you're going from Boston, 93 is the main turnpike yeah. that goes through. So Perfect. there you go. You can wave to Andover I'll on the wave, way back. I'll wave and say hello. <laughs> uh, good stuff. So uh, you, you grew up there. You went to school out there. Yes. Did you go to college out there or was so, you yeah, high school? I, yeah, I said you know 20 out of 21 years. The, the other year was my sophomore year in college, and that was actually to come to see you. Hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I decided I wasn't sure I wanted to go to the business school that I was at. I went yeah. to a small business school called uh, Babson College, and I was more of a free spirit back then. And CU seemed like more of the liberal arts mecca that I was yearning for at the mm -hmm. time. You know, I think it was the number one party school. Not that that influenced me at all, but uh, decided to, you know, make the pilgrimage out and had to come back to Vermont to finish school off there as an English major because of family reasons. I would have loved to stay in Colorado, but uh, yeah, I came back, finished uh, finished school in Vermont and sort of had an itch in the back of my mind about coming back to Colorado someday. So what happened after graduation? So after graduation, I lasted... I guess I, before I do that, yeah. what, what would you major? What so you? English. English? Yeah, okay. back, back when you could do sure. things like that and sure. sort of get a liberal arts degree, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, can't really do that today, sadly. But uh, I'm a history major. Are so you okay? No. So we can definitely. So no, no judgment notes. here. Okay, <laughs> I can read books <laughs> and I could type a mean email, um, and that's just about the same skills <laughs> I learned from my. Yep. So I got one job in the family industry. It was in the semiconductor space uh, in sales, um, and found it wasn't really for me after graduation. 
And you know that itch that was in the back of my mind finally got a little bit too big. And one day, after about six months after graduation, I packed all my stuff in my car and drove out west and wow. showed up on my friend's doorstep and said, "Hey, you mind if I crash in your couch?" And they're like, "Okay, nice to see you, Brett." And yeah. and I did. And after maybe a month. Um, my parents were wondering what I was doing with my life and if I was going to get a job or if I was going to come home with the tail between right. the legs. And I got a job at a temp agency out of Boulder that put me in uh, with Level 3 Communications. Wow. So basically was a, a temp uh, in the customer care department. Level 3 at the time was uh, an offshoot of Peter Kiewit and Sons. They were a, uh, a construction company and that was a big reason why we were able to lay so much fiber at that time is because they had the right-of-ways along the train tracks. Hmm. So they would actually pull the trench, the trench devices alongside the train cars and then just unspool the fiber as they went. And that was actually a, a huge uh, leg up for us to be able to, to lay that, that bandwidth. Um, so at that time though, they're also experiencing a massive growth spurt from a customer standpoint, growth spurt from an employee standpoint. And uh, there were a lot of outages and people that were in the customer care group that were opening tickets wrong under the wrong circuit ID, not closing tickets right, and customers were asking for credits and there was really no leg to stand on. Yeah. So my job was to come in and analyze those tickets and make sure that people were doing the right closure codes, you know, under the right circuit ID, close it at the right time, and uh, it was pretty mind-numbing, but I was, I was just happy to have a job mm -hmm. in Colorado, and that's, that's kind of what brought me out here. So before you made the drive uh, to, to Denver, did you read On the Road by Jack Kerouac? <laughs> uh, no, I have not read that one, but okay. I've heard about it, and it's probably, it would have just been It know, sounds like you would, similar, it would, yeah. you would have, it might have been the inspiration. Like, yeah. It's a guy from the East Coast who makes the drive. He does it, He stops in Denver, and then he continues on to Los Angeles. And yep. it's, Route, uh, Route 66, right? Uh, parts of, yeah, most part. of it is on, well, there's a lot of it on Route 66, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, interesting book. All right, so you started as a customer care temp, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So I assume that's not what you're doing anymore. That's not what I'm doing anymore. I, I, you uh, wouldn't be on the show yeah. if that's what you're still doing. Yeah, so it was actually fairly rapid for me to get my foot in the door in the security space. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I'm in security is a person by the name of Terry Tickle. Hmm. Terry Tickle is a fairly notorious spammer. Um, is a very unusual spammer for the time, and this is 1999. Um, so what Terry would do, and she claimed to be a girl, would send emails to uh, you know, mass, mass emails to news groups, to message boards, to Usenet, saying, hey, uh, if you're a young, attractive man, send me pictures or videos of you getting tickled, and I'll send you money. I'll get you concert tickets. I'll give you whatever. Here's a list of stuff. I have references. And the person that was doing abuse for Level 3 at the time um, was used to doing about 30 complaints a week. But because of Terry Tickle and sending all of these unsolicited emails and bad, you know, hey, I don't want this. There's a lot of people that were pretty upset about it. It went up to about 3,000 a week. And the person that was dealing with abuse just couldn't handle it. Uh, I was done with my analyzing tickets job for that day. And I said, hey, I can help you if you're getting overwhelmed. That looks kind of interesting. I, I don't know yeah. what you're doing, but you're talking to a lot of people that seem pretty angry. So I offered to help. And um, the reason why this was on our network is... Level 3 actually had a lot of the managed modem banks at the time. So uh, we provided service to companies like Earthlink, like NetZero, like AOL, where we leased these modem banks and their users would dial into these phone numbers and they would be Level 3 phone numbers, but we would use Radius to pair it off with the, the, the ISP, give them, add them to the domain and authenticate them and get them an IP address. All of the IP addresses were Level 3 IPs. So the way it worked back in the day still sort of works this way is uh, you have a problem with somebody or somebody does something bad, spamming, uh, port scanning, hacking, things like that. You look up the IP, see who owns that IP, and then you send it abuse at that company. Right. So I pretty much helped manning the abuse desk. And So what, what did you do when you know, there's a thousand reports about the same email? What, what did you do at that point, back so, 20 years ago? Yeah, so we had zero automation at the time, mm -hmm. and what you would have to do is essentially sort it by subject line, and you'd see that this was all from the same Terry Tickle spammer, and you'd yeah. see that in the subject line, it was a lot of times people include the IP address or the date time, and you do your best to try to look up which account was doing that activity at that time by logging into our radius logs and 
Um, from there, you could work with the ISP, you could block the phone number, you could block the IP address. Hmm. Highly manual work, but I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was gaining a lot of rudimentary security skills. Yeah. You know, I was learning routing, I was learning TCP IP, I was learning just basic you know, Unix from logging into the radius servers and finding the users. Uh, from my standpoint, I was pretty non-technical. I was English major, yeah. but I was really liking it. I was liking the investigative part of it. I was liking the, uh, you know, helping cleaning up the internet. And uh, happy to say that Terry Tickle went away. Um, we worked with the FBI, and um, it actually ended up being a he. It was a, a male guidance That's not counselor. A yeah, not a surprise <laughs> at all. Um, one thing I learned actually is that there's a documentary on HBO uh, about this person that oh, came really? out in the past year. I have not seen it, but I'm so was this person. You got to be curious about this, yeah, whole, sure. <laughs> this whole scam, right? Yeah. It, it sounds to me like probably this was just a um, proclivity of this person and there's no, there, there was no monetization. Correct. Or, yeah, it was it was this person's he just into, twisted he just you know, desires. He just tickles. Yeah, okay. exactly. And, uh, There's a lot and, worse things he could be into, I guess. Than, yeah, than I mean, sending it to thing. maybe underage people got the FBI uh, involved yeah, over point, state yeah. lines, shipping the videos. Because some people said, hey, I want a you know concert tickets. I'll right. do it. And... and uh, and yeah. maybe you know, have a federal offense at this point. Exactly. Was, so. was he actually giving this stuff? Uh, allegedly, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So from what I've heard, again, I haven't seen the the um, the documentary. I plan on looking at it, but he was a trust fund kid that had too much time on his hands and had proclivities, as you say, and yeah. would would actually do it, but didn't realize that there would be some extreme negative ramifications, yeah. including getting me a job in security. So, <laughs> so so all not all <laughs> negative. We have at least the one positive. There. <laughs> So you, you volunteered one day after you're done with your tickets. Mm -hmm. uh, you got you started diving into it. Did it become a full time thing shortly thereafter? Or, or how did so that yeah, I think the it became a full time thing within about two weeks. Okay. So within about I'd say two months of joining level three, I was full on in the abuse desk, and yeah. it did not slow down much from there. It was kind of the you know the increase in spam, and at that time there was no spam filters or or, or you know email filtering or even like personal firewalls were fairly uncommon. So people wanting to hack or port scan or DOS people, like all of these complaints would come into abuse and it made for an interesting day. There was always different stuff going on and I, and yeah, full, full yeah. time. And I'd say probably the first two years of my, my time at level three was almost exclusively on, on the abuse, abuse side of things. Hmm. How many employees did level three have back in when you were hired? So I would say it was about, 1,500 to 2,000, okay, so and, a, and a lot of them were in the Interlochen. Uh, well, actually, at that point, Interlochen wasn't even open yet, so it was in the Church Ranch area around 104th, and uh, yeah. yeah, so. So, you know, a mid-sized company, but mm -hmm. not the enterprise that it was going exactly. to grow into. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, you, you did abuse for a few years, and, mm -hmm. and what was the next step for you? So, I, w I would credit the, the next phase in my evolution to Dale Drew. Dale mm -hmm. Drew was grew to be the chief security officer at level three, but he joined in 99 also. Hmm. Um, he joined as a security engineer and his job was to design and architect solutions that would protect the, the, the corporation, the enterprise. Um, his frustration was there was nobody to operate these tools he, and he did not want the engineering team to design and then operate them because then they couldn't move on to new projects. So I kind of worked with him and said, hey, if you got stuff that you want operations to start looking at. We got a team of, I think, five people at that point. So we started to lay in addition, layer in additional things. You had people doing the abuse work? Was is the operations team? Yeah, yeah. So kind of an interesting yeah. mix. Yeah. We kind of, we grew the abuse team and started layering in like two-factor authentication and in, radius. In like early 2000s, were you doing that? Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah, it That's was good. Yeah, I just said, hey. Little RSA tokens? RSA tokens. Yeah. There wasn't even soft tokens at that point. Um, yeah. And they would expire, and then you'd have a pile of them, and then we'd. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, remember, was it like 2006 they came out, this company uh, Phone Factor came out uh -huh. with like the, the the first two factor that wasn't yep. hardware tokens that I could. Well, there was, the, there was the grid cards, which is not fair to call two factor <laughs> in any real way, but there wasn't a lot of options back then. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. it was authentication and layering things like uh, the anti support of the antivirus on the, the workstations, hmm. the perimeter firewalls, um, lawful process, like uh, getting subpoenas and court orders from, from it was usually like who owns this IP or owns this phone number, nothing super complex, but started getting a lot of them. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say from there, it was the first 10 years of my experience was kind of growing that enterprise security function. And abuse always stayed part of it, but we grew other stuff to, to, uh, to, to join.
join in as well. Yeah. So so Dale was kind of developing an engineering function and you started developing the operations function yeah, yeah. simultaneously? Absolutely. Yep. So my, my boss at the time in the operations side was Ken Hartling. He's now one of the higher ups in security over at the Sands Casino. So I still mm. stay uh, in close contact with him. So it was pretty much Dale and Ken with architecture and engineering and operations. And we were pretty much separate entities until I'd say 2009. And at that point, Dale became the CSO and got all of the security umbrella un under uh, hmm. uh, under under one shop. And were you guys reporting into IT? It must have been IT at the time then. So, or abuse might not have been. Huh? Yeah, at one point, and this is in the first two years, I had 26 different bosses because nobody knew really where to put us or what to do with us. Because at the time, security was just, uh, it's kind of an add-on. I don't really know where this belongs. So. Yeah. We did bounce between IT and different operations groups and I think legal at one point. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually Dale was in the technology group, so more of the technology um, architecture team and then sort of had operations too. So we were a little bit unique there where he was the CSO um, and I think we were about the only operations team that was part of that group, but it made sense yeah. for to have security all under one uh, umbrella. So you, you, you helped develop the operations team. I mean, honestly, going from 2000 to 2010, that's a, mm -hmm. that's a, a, a huge difference, right? Yeah, Over absolutely. Those 10 years. Yeah. Uh, can, you, can you give me some examples of the maturation you guys went through during that time? Yeah, so uh, I think it was really the consolidation and streamlining of processes, like how we would ingest different workflows, because all of those different all of those different work injects would have to come in either through a phone call or a ticket or an alarm. So yeah. trying to normalize that in a single set of processes, uh, we had a wiki that would, and we still have a wiki today that would kind of uh, be a, a normal living document for how we can add and people can learn from the, the mistakes of others and, and update processes. So um, yeah, that was, a big, a big thing we had to do is really to just normalize and get one consistent set of ticketing systems, one set, set of processes, and also an escalation protocol. You'd have to have more junior people start off at the beginning, just doing basic triage and troubleshooting. And then the tier two was more of the people that would work things from you know, two to four hours and um, resolve probably 90% of the issues from there. And then a tier three team that is more looking for um, the chronic issues and trying to look for trends and see what's uh, what's actually underlying and and what we're what we're tackling. So at least some of what you just talked about sounds like problems that we would try and solve with a sim, mm -hmm. um, some kind of security operations enablement tools. Um, you know, I, I can't remember there being any sims in two thousand one, two thousand two, <laughs> two thousand three. Yeah. Um, how, how did you go about tackling those technical problems? Yeah, so there, you're right, there was no SIM. So we essentially used the NMS tool, network monitoring system that the NOC used at the time. And they had a really strong developer that was willing to really code anything mm -hmm. if you just put that challenge to them. So we said, hey, Brad, can you help ingest these logs from our snort infrastructure right. and these logs from our authentication infrastructure for failed login attempts? Um, and we pretty much made it into a sim I and mean, we had it uh, like a right click ticket functionality we had That's the great. ability to you know look up procedures and that was our sim i'd say until about 2012 when we started to get more in the managed security space what do you what would you say and this is really a little bit of a tangent off of your history work history just to your opinion what would you say are the core functions that you look for in i don't, I don't want to use the word sim I, mm -hmm. I actually heard a great thing um from uh, Katie Winslow, who's, a, who's mm. the, one of the directors over at Kaiser Permanente. Uh, she said, rather than talking about a SIM, talk about a SIM program, mm -hmm. Security Incident Event Management Program, yeah. right? What would you say are the key, the key capabilities in a SIM program so, or technology? So I've gone through many SIMs, um, yeah. both you know, things that we've developed ourselves, but also off the shelf and things that were more open source that we tuned to our, our needs, is it really needs to be something that's adaptable and easy to configure. The worst pitfall you can fall into is you get something where you have just one guy on your team that has to become an expert in that sim to do anything with it. If that person leaves, which often is the case, especially if it's a commodity sim, like brand name thing yeah. that uh, is marketable, that person leaves and then you have to wait six months just for that person to come up to speed. Right. So I would highly recommend things that are more modular and allow for uh, people to 
uh, come up to speed on not only how to do queries, but also to get new feeds into that sim so you can um, scale that amongst not more than just one engineer, but uh, even down to the operations crew. So devil's advocate, if it's too easy, what I've seen, mm -hmm. and, and most sims do this, and you haven't thrown out any names, so I'm not <laughs> going to either because I'm going to be not as nice about it maybe as you. <laughs> most sims make it really easy for me to ingest logs and mm -hmm. then say, I'm going to turn on this suite of rules for you. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as you bite into that apple of mm -hmm. turning on the rules, mm -hmm. you know, life is never the same, right? Yeah, like the floodgates um, you're, you're the talking about. The floodgates are open, yeah. and, and, and I, I don't mean in a good way, right? To me, uh, that's false, not a good sim. False positive, yeah. well, yeah. but... Is there such thing as a good sim then? Well, the, the it, ones that are going to allow you to correlate across different events before you actually pop that as an alert. You know, in my experience, a lot of the sims, they require a lot of that backend development to take a feed A in uh, X amount of alerts and feed B X amount of alerts together. That makes an alert. But without that, don't even show it to the SOC because it's not meaningful. Well, so you that that's point. my point, though, mm -hmm. that that you're, just, you're talking about some extra work on the back end mm -hmm. to make the alerts valuable. Yeah. And that's and that I, I agree with yeah. that it should be, it, you have to do a lot of work up front to get really high signal out of out of those alerts. Because yeah. if you don't, it, it is, they make it so easy to say, hey, look, I have a, a pack of, a PCI pack of alerts and mm -hmm. I've got a, a HIPAA pack of, whatever they've got, right? They've yeah. got their, their pre-canned rules, which mm -hmm. make perfect sense. If I owned a SIM company, I'd probably do that too. Yeah. But as a user, as soon as you turn on those pack of alerts, you've just doomed yourself to turning off and tuning and hunting things that are not useful for your environment. Yeah. For the or or they're, they're offering you pro services. Say, hey, you're having a, a tough time, then yeah, I'll, I'll smoke, somebody, smoke jump somebody in there for 10 yeah. grand a day and you know, we'll solve all your issues. So yeah, we've been through it. Um, yeah, there's no really good SIM answer, but yeah. the more that it can be configurable at the front, the, as close to the front lines as possible, hmm. not at the architecture level. I think that's uh, that's at least what we've had success with. Okay. Um, what what about? So we talked a little bit about sim being. I'm gonna stay on sim because I think it's I, I think it's such a, a lot of people listening uh, have a sim, and mm -hmm. I suspect that very few. It's a four-letter word. <laughs> very few of those people like it. Right? Yeah. So we talked about. Sim as maybe a log repository, mm -hmm. seeing as a as a correlative mm -hmm. um, tool. Yeah. Sim as a workflow tool. You mm -hmm. talked about you know kind of clicking and starting starting a ticket from that. Yeah. Um, what about enrichment from a, is, Do you look to a sim to give you enrichment mm -hmm. of your data? Because I know you guys do a lot of that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about that. So we have essentially well, we have multiple views, but we use our sim to be both of our near real time view of alerts that require the SOC to respond immediately because we definitely have products that we support and other issues that require five minute or less response time. So we have to make sure that the SOC is repeatable going after those. They know what to do. In other channels, we have more of these areas where we go and we could do research and we can search. All right what other issues are happening with that same signature? What other issues are happening with that same IP? So I think that goes to some, somewhat the log repository you were talking about. Yeah. Um, the enrichment is obviously extra development work to, to make different feeds come together into something that is more meaningful for your environment. So that's the, the challenge is the more complex your environment, the more enrichment you need to do so you're not spinning your wheels and. So I don't know if I answered the question, but it is a challenge. Yeah. It is it is a challenge, you know, and I've been, I'd say that my view of a sim program has become much more complex over the years, mm -hmm. and adding these different elements to it, um, we we basically within Ping built our own sim, mm -hmm. you know, and I, as I divide those five things up, mm -hmm. I'm I'm exceptionally good at a couple of them, mm -hmm. but I'm terrible at a couple of yeah. them. And and how do you and you have to find other ways to kind of you know to call it a program rather than technology right mm -hmm. how do you how do you get those things other ways yeah uh, but I haven't yet to see a technology that I think really checks all the boxes mm -hmm. without the terrible overhead administration and or false positive issues yeah that's what my challenge is yeah that's the pendulum and you're going to have to deal with, with with both sides of that and. Uh, there's no good sim out of the box. Yeah. So like you said, you developed your own. We've developed our own. We have a product that we've launched recently and called SLM, Secure Log Management, which yeah. is in effect a managed sim. We got that from CenturyLink. So we're actually... What do you, what's it built on? Can you share? 
Like so a, the elk stack or yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right. So obviously we, we took a pause there in 2010 to, to yeah. talk about Sims for a little bit. Do you want to keep keep it moving forward? What's been going yeah. on? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And the, really the next big phase was the managed security, and that's the yeah. last you know big phase that I'm I'm in now. Um, about 2012, we acquired Global Crossing. Global mm -hmm. Crossing had a large managed firewall offering. So at that point, the SOC that I was responsible for um, not only took on that, but we also took on physical security. So all the, the badges and the doors and monitoring cameras, um, we layered on managed DDoS support. We layered on threat intelligence, which um, I, th I believe recently you've talked to Mike Benjamin, who's my peer yeah. who runs the threat labs. We also have, um, I say adaptive network security, which is our, our next gen perimeter security in the cloud. So not just firewall, but uh, connecting via uh, IPsec tunnels and you know having IPS, IDS, uh, web content filtering, DLP, et cetera. That's, uh, so I, I think I just heard a few people say bingo when you said <laughs> next gen perimeter security in the cloud. Mm -hmm. So I want to understand that better, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Uh, what cloud are we talking about? So you're talking about the CenturyLink cloud. So yeah. CenturyLink, is that an IaaS, PaaS, or SaaS cloud? What is that? Well, so it's it is it they're offering they're they're offering is an infrastructure as a service is it a SaaS product I'm not no, sure oh what, sorry yeah it's an infrastructure as a service yeah okay so, so yeah you're, an AWS uh, yeah so you're you're connecting to our forty to that will be sixty gateways soon yeah which will be you know you home to you know a couple gateways actually multiple if depending on how many data centers that you have and then you're routing your perimeter traffic through those cloud firewall devices and you're laying on additional um, additional services on top of that so interesting so and, yeah. so is this is this basically like for enterprises to use for the, for their distributed workforce to get the same things that you would get from perimeter controls or is is this something that's going around services that they're hosting within the CenturyLink cloud does that question make sense it it does so you don't just need to be a CenturyLink customer in order to have this service. You can connect an IPsec tunnel or a GRE, a GRE tunnel from off net in order to do this to our cloud offering. Um, but it, it's also uh, to, to be able to control the, the security of the remote users. But we're also doing for large to medium data center um, companies. Or so it's to, basically running, some, running traffic through you guys as some kind of a cleaning, exactly uh, a, a filtering mechanism to say, hey, I'm going to make sure that you know, they're not getting malware, that they're not, you know, getting these, yeah, I get it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah we call I, it our adaptive network security, and okay. uh, yeah, we, we launched that a few years ago. It's awesome. starting to see some some good ramp. Um, DDoS is growing huge, especially with the recent ransomware and DOS extortion that we've seen. Uh, is, we that, is that ramping back up again? You know, it's cyclical. We often see a lot mm -hmm. of copycats come along. I'd say that from our standpoint, we're getting about 120 DDoS attacks a day, and we see it's not uncommon to see 100 gigabit attacks. We saw one yesterday, in fact, and we have over terabit and a half of scrubbing capacity and just legacy level three, but CenturyLink also spun up a capability. So collectively, uh, about three to four terabits of scrubbing capacity. So so it was the Lizard Squad was the big, mm -hmm. was it, what year were they, 2016? Yeah, Lizard Squad was, they had the big Christmas, uh, took out everybody's PlayStation. PlayStation Network, yeah, whatever, so yeah. They, they actually put their money where their mouth is and actually launched the attacks, but there was a lot of others like Armada Collective and others that just, they sent the ransomware and then yeah. people got it and said, oh boy, about time I get a DDoS provider and that right. you know, generated a lot of uh, additional I remember clients for us. Just a couple months ago, there was a bunch of folks pretending to be Lizard Squad and mm -hmm. sending out the yeah. the warning notices, right? Which I assume you know it could be you guys behind it because it generates a lot of <laughs> revenue, right? Well, I'm just kidding. I'm not really accusing CenturyLink of no. Of, uh, so hopefully you've like heard that. from me is uh, I have a, a passion about cleaning up the internet and doing the right thing, and that would be absolutely yeah, the wrong. That would be the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> uh, uh, cool. Um, so you. you 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 start talking about the MSS side of stuff. Yeah, is this in addition to or instead of corporate security? So we had a combined global SOC um, up until I would say about nine months ago. And okay. when I say combined global SOC, is my team was responsible for incident response and triage for corporate security, for physical security, and for managed security services. Yeah. So we we did that I think out of necessity. It was based on resources where. 
certain things would be going off one day and then a different day other things would be going off. So we had to cross train those front lines to be able to say, all right, you know DDoS, but you also know physical and you know firewalls. So we're going to make you primary in this and secondary on that and tertiary on this and then take that global force to be able to back each other up across all those different disciplines because yeah. it was a lot of dis disciplines. And then recently with uh, CenturyLink, we had the resources to be able to get a little bit more focused. So now we do have a corporate security uh, team that focuses on the, the threats against CenturyLink uh, as a corporation, as an enterprise. And my team is the global combined global SOC for uh, the CenturyLink managed security services. Awesome. Yeah. So as you tell the story, my thinking goes to as long as you were offering security services for both corporate and your MSS, that corporate would always get the short end of the stick. That it would always be the cobbler's children, you know, don't yeah. issues because because customers are they're needy and they pay your bills. Yeah, that's how you have a mortgage, right? Like we ran into that yeah. challenge. I mean, yeah. I had a priority matrix that I gave to the SOC tech. So if this thing came in versus this thing, it's you know this is a one, this is a two. Right. You would work the one, even if one was on the corporate security side you would sometimes have to have those difficult conversations yeah. with the customer saying, sorry, it took us 15 minutes to get to your alert instead of seven minutes. Um, right. You know, I mean, there's certain things to protect the business. You absolutely have to respond to a zero day or an outbreak or something that's going to be yeah. impacting to your business because that's going to impact all your customers. That's um, a good, it's a good approach though, to, to have you know, thought of in, in advance, you know, here's the categorizations mm -hmm. and what, what you look at first so that in the heat of the moment, it's not who's yelling loudest. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like oftentimes that. a squeaky wheel gets the gets the oil, uh, yeah. as we see. And um, I, I do appreciate now having the ability to focus on the managed security space, but I still work very closely with the the corporate security brethren. We're all we're all under one team now, which is great, um, and we're we're moving forward. Yeah. So you, you talked uh, about cleaning up the internet and being a, a big fan of that, and I know you guys have done some really cool stuff around that, and there's some collaborations going mm -hmm. on. Maybe. A lot of folks listening might not know about that. So talk to me about how you guys go about trying to make the internet a safer place. Yeah, so the most exciting part of that for me is what we're doing out of our, our threat labs. And uh, Mike Benjamin, who's my peer, who runs that team, you know, think of him more of the architecture and engineering of what is coming out of those threat labs. And he has a team of many, many folks that are data scientists and uh, writing the, the algorithms that are looking at the CenturyLink backbone to see not only what are known threats, because that's what a lot of people are doing in the threat space, but also what looks like a threat. What other things are talking to those IPs that are known threats and then writing their own algorithms that can kind of extrapolate using our unique backbone down view to get a new list that I think is, is absolutely unique to, to what CenturyLink can do. So every day his team sends us a list of things that we need to look at. Um, we block on average of one, sometimes on average two command and controllers a day. Hmm. We're also spinning up a threat notification system to be able to, to talk to folks that are both uh, customers, but also third parties that we say, hey, the following thousand IPs are infected or communicating with, uh, with this GAF kit um, a, a botnet or this Mirai botnet, or you're infected with this uh, VPN filter th thing that's going around today. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're, we're really trying to not only just be aware of it and look at it, but also communicate to the to the the, the internet as a whole about it. We we of course rolled out a uh, a threat lab report in the last couple of months where we at a high level said what we're we're seeing. But my yeah. my job is to do more of the tactical day to day, and uh, there's a lot of threats that we're tracking currently. I'd say that there's about 195,000 active daily threats we see, and there's, there's just no way to scale to that. So we're picking our battles on what we do, but if everybody can pitch in based on the info that we are finding, I think that would that would help a lot. So if uh, is there a link to the threat report that I could share with everybody? There is. It's off oh. of CenturyLink.com, or if you just search threat report uh, off of the you know good old Google, that should should cool. find it. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well so folks can download sounds, it directly. Sounds good. Any, any highlights from that report that you want to hit on? Yeah, so it's showing that Mirai is not the only botnet that's really, or, or style of botnet that's still causing issues. There's another large one that we're tracking called Gafkit, and they're, they're similar, but they, 
uh, you know, you get all the headlines on Mirai. Um, and Gafkit is also another one that's primarily a DDoS botnet. So, what, what, what is it? What kind of devices are in that botnet? Mirai was DVRs primarily. Yeah, initially? I mean, it, it is. At least initially, it was. Yeah, so it's it's also you know, IoT devices are certainly within there, um, but there's also just you know, user home connections are in there too. I think um, you, you brought up a, a big point that our IoT and getting default systems out there is a huge problem because they come out of the box ready to be compromised right. and nobody knows that they plug in their IP camera and it's just uh, within 30 seconds it's part of a botnet and oh it's a little choppy on the, the image right now I wonder why that is it's because you're dosing somebody and you don't know it um, or you might be mining uh, Monero for somebody <laughs> yeah, too could be, right could be could be getting some Bitcoin <laughs> but um, but yeah, so the threat report is basically saying that there's there's a lot more things out there to keep an eye on. Um, it's it's showing that the big high bandwidth countries like that have large fiber to the house or just like high high speed internet, high speed cable, those are the ones that are being used both as the the victims but also as the the bots to relay attacks to others. So yeah. like U.S., Russia, China, Brazil different uh, countries like that. We have a, a graph that shows all of the different um, top 10, you know, bad bad actors, but also victims. And there's definitely a lot of info. It's a, yeah. it's a lot of uh, a lot of things we need to contend against. Awesome. Well, I'll, like I said, I'll take a look at, at well, I'll, get, I'll put the link in the show notes for it. Mm -hmm. um, so as you look ahead to, you know, the end of 2018, 2019, 2020, 2025, as far mm -hmm. as you want to go, yeah. uh, what do you see coming up next for you know for, for what you're doing at CenturyLink, mm -hmm. or, or honestly, what you're doing next at all, personally, however you want to go? Yeah, so I think that right now, security is such uh, an active buzzword in just, it, it's it's growing in the, the, the media. Um, everybody th needs to know about security, which is great, but as a result, there's a lot of security companies that are growing up, mm -hmm. and it's, I think some of that needs to consolidate. That's, that's what I'm seeing is that there's just too many people that are doing too many things and we need people to specialize um, in, in different areas to, to, to really differentiate and not just try to be everything to everybody. Um, you know, specialize in the things you're good at. Like CenturyLink is good at networks and we have really solid network, you know, network security solutions. Yeah. Um, so th I think that's, you know, where I see it going is more threats, more zero days, more things to make you scared at night. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's what a bit, What about for, for your team? Do you see any, any changes coming up for, for what you're going to be doing? Yeah, so recently I mentioned that we did combine with the CenturyLink SOC. Mm -hmm. I, I did manage the Legacy Level 3 SOC, but I recently acquired the, the CenturyLink SOC 2. So now I have seven SOCs throughout the world. Um, Trying to get them to one consistent operational model is yeah. going to be, you know, to call back to earlier, that's going to be the yeah. big challenge. And I think that's going to be probably a year. We already started. I've been on the job for two months. I reorganized the team, or I will be reorganizing the team by the time that this comes out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot of fun for me. I like to be able to optimize and make sure that we can do do more with less and, and tackle things that maybe other people weren't thinking of. And above all, just try and, trying to help. You know? Yeah. So keeping in mind that this is Colorado Equal Security, are you guys looking to hire any security folks here in the yeah. Denver metro area? Absolutely. We always are, and we have two of our seven socks are in Colorado. We have one in Broomfield, and then we also have one down in Littleton, Colorado, which is kind of off the Mineral CenturyLink campus. And we have openings in both now. One is the Legacy Level 3 sock, and yeah. one is the Legacy CenturyLink. And so... Uh, we have openings from tier one and tier two and then senior tech. Um, my philosophy though is generally, especially the way I got into it, I like to give people a chance, you know, yeah. hire people in from the from the, the bottom floor, look for people that are motivated and, and trainable, but not necessarily the perfect security people, uh, you know, from the get-go. Um, we definitely like to promote from within. As I mentioned, I work with Mike Benjamin. I also have peers in, in uh, security engineering for the the adaptive network security they said, uh, also the DDoS engineering side. So I have folks that have gone up through the ranks of my team that have gone from tier one to tier through two to tier three, then they can go to manager or they can go to engineer. And we've had folks that have made it all the way to architecture. So yeah. I'd like to try to keep it within the family and Colorado is uh, definitely a good work-life balance. And right. we'd like to 
attract people here, but we're finding they're, they're coming to us. So what skill set would you like, most like to see for those tier ones coming in? Yeah, so I like people that have some basic understanding of, of networking. You know, networking is, is all about what we do. I mean, client and host-based security is important too. I mean, there's a lot of different disciplines, but uh, people out of the military, people that have experience in running telecommunications, um, people that come from the NOC is good. You know, that's a really good place where they have that ability to support infrastructure and respond quickly to alerts and know that triage step. Right. So, but from our standpoint, we don't look for anything specific on a resume, just that, you know, you, you're willing to, to give it a shot and, mm. um, you know, have some, you know, get your foot in the door past our recruiters and we'll do the rest. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, let me think of any other questions I want to ask you. Any questions that you, that wish I asked you that I haven't asked yet? Hmm. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah. So, so I guess I'll have a, 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 one more follow-up thing then. What is the best thing about the Colorado security community? You've been here for almost 20 years now. Yeah. And most of that in the vast majority of that in the security community. Yeah. You've seen it change a lot. So the, the biggest change I've seen is the level of skill just in mm -hmm. general and the security folks. You, you rewind it back 10 years or even 15 years ago. Yeah. Security was a hobby for people. They would do something else. Uh, they would be in IT and they go, oh yeah, I also have to do server security. Oh yeah, yeah I have to also be watching for security events on this platform. Um, now people are going to school for it. They're becoming specialists. So. Um, when I said I'm looking for frontline security techs, by no means am I saying don't don't come to us if you have those skills already. We definitely have yeah. places to hire you into. But uh, yeah, huge change in, in the skill, and it seems like a lot of people want to come to Colorado for the work-life balance. And uh, and yeah, that's our mantra in, in CenturyLink is we want to um, make sure that you're happy to come to work and you're happy to leave work and you keep coming back smiling the next day. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks so much for your time, Brett. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thank you, Rob. Right, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, this has been uh, another episode of Colorado Equal Security. We'll see you guys next week. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equal Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.